0: Let's get into 2 Peter chapter 2. Again, I'm going to go back to verse 9 because that's kind of where everything launches from. We've already covered verse 9 and we've covered half of verse 10. Uh, We're going to go on through verse 12 today. I mean, this is an exciting day. We're going to cover two and a half verses, Lord willing. Although we're running short on time, so we may not. Okay, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, or a better word would be trials, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trials. We heard, about, heard two testimonies today on that. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And that's where it gets uncomfortable. As long as we study passages that talk about blessings and good things, everybody's happy. But when we start to talk about the other side of the coin, people get nervous, they get uncomfortable. But again, as we've talked about the last several weeks, God guarantees two things. He guarantees protection and deliverance for His people, for His children, for those who have embraced Him, embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and He promises or guarantees punishment for those who do not. You can't have one without the other. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, that's where we left off last week, they are presumptuous, self-willed. Actually, we got that far. They are not afraid to speak of evil of dignitaries. And this is where we'll pick it up today. Whereas angels who are, in greater, who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord, but these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. We pray that you'd help us to cover just as much as you want us to cover this morning. And once again, we pray for the wisdom and the insight of your Holy Spirit as we study these scriptures together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick it up where Peter says that these evil men, women, mankind, those that walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, this is an important point here, and it'll become clear as we go through this. Peter is not speaking here of earthly dignitaries. He is speaking of angelic dignitaries. The NIV translates this way. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. The ESV, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, another trademark, and again, the the overall context, remember here in this passage, is the punishment that awaits false prophets and false teachers. Whenever Jesus was dealing with people, he dealt with people all the time while he was here on earth, he was always harder on the religious leaders than anyone else. The common man, the garden variety, everyday average sinner, lots of grace, lots of mercy, lots of love. But when it came to the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, he was really hard on those guys. He called them sons of the devil, actually. And so we see the same thing here, that much of this passage has to do with the severe punishment for false teachers Why? Because within their hands lie your very soul. Everyone that they lead astray, they're leading away from the kingdom of light and into the kingdom of darkness, even though they don't know it. Another trademark of false teachers is that they do not show proper respect for their spiritual enemies, which again is indicative of their arrogance have you ever heard any of these uh, televangelists jump around and shout, I'm going to stomp on the devil's head? Good luck, buddy. Good luck with that one. And that's the kind of thing that Peter's talking about here. Those who make light of it. Then their arrogance and their pride. He says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might. And now here he's referencing God's holy angels, because he says they're not, they will not bring a reviling accusation against these dignitaries, representatives of the enemy. And we see a common posture among false teachers and those who have fallen sway to their deceptive brand of teaching that they have this attitude that both God and his angels are our servants rather than the other way around that God is here to do our bidding rather than we're here to do his bidding yes angels do service but they do so at God's bidding not ours God's calling the shots not us nevertheless not my will but thy will be done we learned that from Jesus didn't we yeah. Hebrews 1 but to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. The point of Hebrews chapter 1 is that Jesus is higher than the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth by God to minister to those who will inherit salvation? So yes, God does send them forth to watch over us, to protect us, like Don, like Tony, like so many of us have experienced. But they are not here to do our bidding. We're here to do the bidding of the Father in heaven. And that's the humble attitude that we should take as we serve God. And they have this bold, arrogant, willful, presumptuous attitude wherein they despise authority and speak evil of dignitaries. And it it looks cool. It sounds cool. It's impressive. But it's absolutely false and wrong. It says that these angels who are greater in power and might than we are And that's part of the amazing thing about God's entire plan. The Bible says we're made a little lower than the angels, and yet it's for us that Christ died. How amazing is that? The angelic hosts have already made their choice. Two-thirds stayed with God. One-third fell with Satan. Their eternal destiny is determined. It is for us that Christ died, and we're made a little lower than the angels. Now we will be one day exalted, glorified, all that good stuff, but right now the reality is that they are greater in power and might and there's things going on all around us we cannot see or even comprehend. That spiritual warfare that's been taking place since the dawn of creation and will continue until Satan is finally once and for all defeated and cast forever into the lake of fire. And what Peter is saying here, these foolish men, these false teachers who have no problem speaking evil of dignitaries, that God's angels, greater in power and might than we are, do not slander the devil and his fallen angels before the Lord. This is an important point to be made as we now begin to delve into the, the subject of spiritual warfare. How do we conduct ourselves because we are in an ongoing battle against the forces of darkness? Jude 1, 8 and 9. Likewise, also these dreamers, and as we pointed out in previous weeks, the, the one chapter in the book of Jude deals with the exact same subject matter of false teachers and what's going to happen to them. Likewise, also these dreamers, speaking of the false teachers, defile the flesh, and we often see that. Another trademark or hallmark of false teachers is they often get involved in, engage in sexual impurity and so forth behind the scenes. They may have an outward appearance of charisma, charismatic, dynamic, eloquent, and so forth, inspirational. But behind the scenes, there's Corruption. They defile the flesh, reject authority, there it is again, and speak evil of dignitaries. Same exact thing as Peter is saying. Maybe the same Holy Spirit spoke through both of these men. What do you think? Yet, Michael the archangel. Now, from what we can tell in the scriptures, it would appear that Michael is the highest of the angelic order. Michael the archangel. In contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. Remember, Moses died there on the mountaintop as the children of Israel then went in to take the promised land. Moses was not allowed to go because he defiled the imagery with the striking of the rock. The first time he struck the rock and the water came out, that was symbolic of Christ being stricken for us and the living water pouring forth. But Jesus only had to die once, he was only stricken once. The second time, Moses did it out of anger. He was mad at the children of Israel because they were complaining again. He smacked the rock in his anger to bring forth the water. And because of that, God said, you will not be allowed to enter the promised land. 120 years. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years uh, in Midian, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel. And yet he was denied the privilege of entering the promised land because of that sin. So Michael is sent to Give Moses a proper burial, apparently. Satan wants to defile the body of Moses, and they're disputing about it. And Michael dared not bring against him... Now, this is the highest of angelic beings in God's hierarchy. The good guys. And he dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you pastor chuck smith used to say i always like to keep the lord between me and satan and he used this passage as his example and so many people have been misled and corrupted by this polluted teaching that we can mock the devil we can mock his demons or his fallen angels because we're so superior no we're not superior he is superior if michael said the lord rebuke you what do you think we ought to say the lord rebuke you see i think a lot of christians have been misled and deceived and pumped up into this false sense of power and authority we do have we'll read this in a moment be strong in the lord and in the power of his might it's not ours it's his so um, it's so typical we talk a lot about balance how God wants us to make every effort to be balanced. We don't go too far off to the left or too far to the right, except in elections. (laughs) On one side, you have those who totally ignore the issue of spiritual warfare. I've shared this before. When I was young, I've been a believer almost my entire life. But when I grew up, I was kind of uh, skeptical about the dark side. I believed in God, believed in Jesus, believed in heaven, all that stuff but I didn't give a lot of credence to the dark side but as I grew up and I got older and I matured spiritually I came to understand you have to believe in both because they're both real God's kingdom is real Satan's kingdom is real but God's kingdom will prevail and Satan's kingdom will fall that's good don't you think but you have those who totally ignore the issue of spiritual warfare and they just want to look at their walk with God as a tiptoe through the tulips. I can't remember her name, but there was a country artist back in the 70s who did a song, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. And that's true of God as well. He's never promised us. There's, being a Christian is wonderful, it's awesome, but really the greatest implications have to do with eternity. Eternity. In this life, we will still have trials, we will still have tribulations, there will still be difficulties, and spiritual warfare is an ongoing reality. Many people choose to ignore it. Again, that same movement that teaches these false teachings regarding the devil and his angels and and the way we conduct ourselves with them, that it's okay to mock them and make fun of them, they also teach that we should... Just positively confess everything and it'll go away that we should never be sick, we should never have problems, and if we do, it's because we don't have enough faith. Gee, that puts it back on us when it really should be on Him. God's faithful, whether our faith is weak or strong. If we could positively confess ourselves into the kingdom of God, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. Really, that's like another religion called Christian science which is one of the false cults. Power of positive thinking, mind over matter. A lot of people have died because of that, because they refuse to go to a doctor, they refuse to receive medical help because they say, no, if I think I'm well, I'm well. And then they drop dead. Didn't work too well, did it? So you have those who totally ignore the issue of spiritual warfare, and then, and a satanic hierarchy, by the way, But you can't believe in god without believing in the devil because god says he's real god created him he didn't create him as the devil he created him as lucifer the son of the morning star the highest of all angelic beings the worship leader in heaven but he fell because of his pride and his arrogance just like these false teachers so you have those who totally dismiss the issue of spiritual warfare and a satanic hierarchy While on the other side, you have those who acknowledge them, but foolishly mock them. Where's the balance? Well, that's what we're talking about today. It is real. We need to acknowledge it. We need to be aware of it. But we need to understand it in its proper context and conduct ourselves accordingly. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. See, it's just like those who think that they can earn their way into heaven by their own good works. Salvation by works, that's not biblical. We're saved by grace through faith. Christ paid the price for our sins. He paid the price of redemption. The only way we can be saved is by putting our faith in Him. We cannot be saved by our own good works. And by the same token, we cannot successfully wage warfare against the enemy in our own strength. Put on the whole armor of God. And by the way, as you go through the whole armor of God, every piece of that armor is actually a description of Jesus Christ. When you're putting on the whole armor of God, you're putting on Jesus. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And here we go. Here's that hierarchy we've been talking about. The ones that the false teachers speak evil of and mock. The Bible speaks respectfully of them because if you don't respect your enemy, your enemy will probably prevail against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Right there, Paul lays out for us the rankings within Satan's dark Kingdom, principalities, powers, rulers, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In any conflict, folks, those who fail to show proper respect for their enemy will inevitably be defeated. Recently, a controversial thing happened with one of our, I think he's a former astronaut, I can't, Scott. Anybody remember his last name? Anyway, he spoke out positively about Winston Churchill. He was immediately bombarded in a negative manner by the Twitterverse. So he backed up and said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize what a racist Winston Churchill was. How many of you have seen the movie um, Darkest Hour? I've seen it twice and I couldn't remember the title. What a powerful movie. I have a poster of Winston Churchill hanging in my office, by the way, and Ronald Reagan. But That doesn't mean anything. One man saved the world. Now God, ultimately, we give God the credit, but one man stood up against Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany when nobody else would, including Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And his name is Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill is the only person who stood between evil and and the salvation of this world. Neville Chamberlain, If you've heard that name, he fought hard to make peace with Hitler, make a truce, give in, back down, let Hitler have his way. By the grace of God, Winston Churchill became prime minister and saved the world. That's just a fact. It's inarguable. And that's my point. If you don't show the proper respect for your enemy, Winston Churchill was the only one who did. He knew what Hitler could do what Hitler was capable of, and he knew what would happen if good men did not stand up against him. And you can apply that to the spiritual world as well. If you don't properly recognize and respect your enemy for who and what he is, you will be defeated. We need not fear the enemy. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching this morning that we should fear the devil. We should fear the Lord. But we mocked him the enemy, at our own peril. Acts 19.13, what a graphic example. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, these were not believers, these were itinerant Jewish exorcists. It meant they traveled around the country performing exorcisms for a fee saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't say the Jesus that we know and love and serve, did they? It worked for Paul. It should work for us. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? That's, boy, when it comes to that point, It's not going well. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, seven guys, one on seven, and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. See, you you don't mess with these things. You don't take them lightly. You don't mock them. You don't disrespect them. You approach it with humility and with complete dependence upon the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter five eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And again, there's a, there are those who mock the oh, he, the devil. He just is old toothless lion. Really, that's not what Peter said. He's saying be on the lookout, be watchful, be sober, be vigilant. Why would Peter warn us? about being devoured by the enemy unless it's possible for that to happen nowhere in the New Testament will you find any New Testament writer any apostle Jesus himself never mocking the devil or his angels James 47 gives us a beautiful perfect example of the process in which we are to resist the enemy one therefore submit to God If you're not submitted to God, if you're not humbly walking before thy God, if you're walking in pride and arrogance, you're already in big trouble. One, therefore submit to God. Two, resist the devil. And if you've submitted to God, then you have his power and his strength to be able to resist the devil. Three, he will flee from you. But if you take the first part away, submission to God, the rest doesn't work. When we are living our lives in humble submission to God, the enemy cannot touch us. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Oh, guess, he's talking here again about false teachers, the spirit of Antichrist. You have overcome them because they're representatives of the enemy. Because he who is in you, Jesus Christ, the spirit of God, He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Who is he that is in the world? Satan. He's the prince of this world. The one living inside of us is greater. But it's not us that's greater, it's him living in us. And by the way, that involves John 15, 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me, to abide means to live, it means to dwell. Doesn't mean just to go to church on Sunday morning. It means you live with him daily, and he lives with you, like a marriage. We are called in the Bible the bride of Christ. If you're married to someone, ideally, you're living with them day in and day out, right? It's a connected, committed, covenant relationship. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what we're doing here today, we're studying the word of God together, we're feeding upon the word, but we need to do that daily, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 12, But these, false teachers, false prophets, deceivers, these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. So, but these. In contrast, To God's holy angels who have intellect, free will, and a moral compass, a conscience, the ability to choose between right and wrong. By the way, God has imparted these same characteristics and qualities to us as human beings. But in contrast to the holy angels, these natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed now, We've seen so many controversies over the past couple years, but of course, not too long ago, our president identified these MS-13 gang members coming up from Central America as animals because of the way they murder, mutilate, do horrible things to people. And once again, he was eviscerated for those comments. He was attacked viciously for calling animals, animals, because... Here in the Bible, they're natural, brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. Vicious, dangerous, a peril to all. But here, Peter's talking about false teachers. This is Peter's take on false prophets and false teachers. My reaction to this? Wow. The degree to which... Now listen to me. The degree to which we can't handle this kind of language very encouraging survey just came out, poll. 80% of Americans are sick and tired of political correctness. That's pretty encouraging. Now, how many are willing to admit it publicly, I don't know. But in the survey they admitted it, 80%. But the degree to which we can't handle this kind of language, that's why so many so-called preachers and teachers and even congregants avoid uncomfortable passages of Scripture and only select those passages that they like, the ones that make them feel good. But the degree to which we can't handle this kind of language is the degree to which we've been softened, brainwashed, and co-opted by the world. Do you see that? If you cringe at something like this, then you've been softened, brainwashed, and co-opted by the world. Peter says... These men, these false teachers, and I'd say most people can't handle this, even within the church. But if there's any part of the Bible that you can't handle, you need to work on that. Because this is an all or nothing proposition, folks. It's either all true or none of it's true. Do you get it? So whenever you cringe, you're the problem. God's not the problem whenever i cringe which i don't think that happens the only time i cringe is when i'm convicted for my own sin that's what makes me cringe and that happens quite often too see this is something that people today are almost entirely unwilling to admit and to face there really are evil people in the world now god so loved the world we talked about loving our enemies but that doesn't change the fact that there really are evil people in the world and those who are unwilling to call them out will be consumed by them. Do you know that? First Timothy four four. Now in my um, new King James Bible, it has little headings for different passages, and this heading is the great apostasy, the great falling away. Paul writes to Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says, that "In latter times, some will depart from the faith." Which means they were in the faith. You can't depart from it if you've never been there giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This doesn't mean witchcraft and Satanism, although did you hear that they had a public uh, witch gathering in Washington, D.C. to put a hex on the new Judge Kavanaugh? Yep, enemies ramping things up, folks. We need to be praying more than they're hexing. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons involves anything any teaching, any false teacher that leads people away from the absolute truth of God's Word in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just satanic teachings or witchcraft, doctrines. Every cult group on the planet is a result of the doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own, and this is the real point here, having their own conscience seared With a hot iron. This seems to indicate they no longer have a conscience. And that explains the fact why there truly are evil people in the world. There are people who are brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. That's why our president was correct in assessing these men, if you can call them that, as animals. Conscience that have been seared as with a hot iron. No conscience. Which means there's nothing too evil for them. Nothing they won't do. Again, ultimately they're answerable to God. But we have to be willing to call evil what it is and to face it head on. Some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Just like Peter and Jesus, Paul reserves his strongest condemnation for those who deceive And those who allow themselves to be deceived. Think about that. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, giving heed to, buying into it, giving into it. So not only is the false teacher held accountable, but the person who allows himself to be deceived. And again, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus and Paul and Peter all level their strongest criticism against the so-called religious leaders of their day says, they speak evil of things they do not understand. As we close out verse 12. So we have the aforementioned celestial beings. They speak evil against them. They mock them. They denigrate them. They don't properly respect them as as a formidable enemy. And then they also speak evil of those who actually stand up for sound doctrine and the absolute veracity and authority of God's word. Some years back, the... uh, founder and host of TBN, made a comment about doctrinal doo-doo. And he took issue with the fact that some people were trying to stand up for sound doctrine. Oh, all it does is divide us and separate us. we got to get off of this doctrine thing. When you get off the doctrine thing, that's when you fall into deception and into error. They speak evil of things they do not understand. Isaiah 520, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil Isaiah must have seen 2018 in his spiritual images. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And will utterly perish in their own corruption. As we've already learned, God has absolutely guaranteed protection and deliverance for his children. And has also absolutely guaranteed the destruction of the wicked. And as we mentioned last week, Rather than hoping and praying that these folks get their just desserts, we should hope and pray that they come to Christ. Because if not for the grace of God, where would we be? (laughs) To quote a popular phrase, there's a place in hell for those who twist and pervert God's truth and in the process lead others astray. Matthew 18, 6 whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. And by the way, the little ones in the Sunday school are God's little ones, but so are we. If you're a parent here today, no matter how old you get and how old your kids get, they will always be your children, right? They'll always be your little ones. They'll always be your babies. And that's how it is with us and God. So when Jesus says this, he's not just speaking of children. He's speaking of all of God's children, regardless of age. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and if, again, if you're a false teacher and you're leading people away from the truth of God's word, you are causing people to sin. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That doesn't sound too pleasant to me. But Jesus says that would actually be better than what awaits these false teachers. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. Folks, we are told in the scriptures, and we've talked about this many times, Matthew 24, prime example, that the number one hallmark of the last days would be, what? Deception. I heard somebody say it. You should have all said it. It worries me a little bit that you didn't. The number one hallmark of the last days would be? But just make sure you have no part in it, right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. It's dynamic. And as you yourself have told us, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, just like a surgeon's scalpel, the sword of truth. Your word cuts deep, but it's a good thing because it cuts away those things that shouldn't be there. It makes everything crystal clear. Father, we all pray together this morning for your forgiveness. If there's any part of your word that we find offensive, any part of your word that makes us cringe, because you are holy and just and righteous and perfect in all of your ways, And Lord, if you said it, it's right, it's true, it's just, it's exactly how it should be. And Lord, those who fear you, those who honor you, those who worship you, those who trust in you and believe in you and follow after you have nothing to fear. So Lord, we ask that you just fill us with your grace and your mercy that we might be gracious and merciful to those around us not wishing and hoping for their destruction, but hoping and praying for their deliverance, their salvation, so that they can experience the wonderful forgiveness that we've experienced, the forgiveness of our sins and the precious gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you that in a world that seems to be getting increasingly dark, your light is shining brighter and brighter. Lord, help each one of us to carry that torch And everywhere we go, we pray that your light would shine. People would see Jesus in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.